Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hey there, Alex Pearson from On Point today on our podcast. Our friend from Blacklocks Reporting joins us to talk about the sudden resignation of the head of Canada's public health agency. And lo and behold, they didn't just resign to spend time with the kids, they failed upwards. We'll speak with an expert about this push for electric vehicles and just how environmentally friendly are they? Mm, not so much. And finally, this poison letter sent to Trump didn't come from a guy. Oh, no, no. A woman. Let's get going. Getting through to you. That's the point. Do you understand? There is a point. That point where enough is enough. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. As for the organizers, you know something, guys? I, I don't get it. I, I just don't get it. If we weren't so backlogged on MRIs, I'd send you to the MRI to get your brain scanned because I just I don't think there's anything in there. We we get the protocols out there, and and they just blatantly ignore the people. I. I You've got to really wonder. Not really. I mean, people break the rules because they can. They simply don't take the warning seriously. Alex Pearson with you on this Monday, September 21st. Great to have you. I hope you had a terrific weekend. I guess this is, what, the last day of summer. There you go. A lot happening. Uh, not just this weekend. There's a whole lot of stuff happening in the news today, which we will get into. But, I, you know, it started the news cycle, I think, for today kind of started Friday. We had the death of uh, Canadian Prime Minister John Turner and Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Both, uh, of course, big losses. But what struck me as I was scrolling through the internets was just how much more debate in this country there is about stuff that goes on in that country. Like, Ginsburg's replacement and at a time when people should be reflecting on the passing of a Canadian prime minister. I mean, yes, her her passing is a loss, but I think, you know, as Canadians, uh, we should be telling our own stories and remembering our own history, regardless of what you thought of Turner's politics. I mean, he served our country for a, a good long time and um, and did so at a time when politics was certainly tough, but nowhere near as gross and divided as it is today. So it actually made me long for those noise-filled social media free times, you know, li listening back to exchanges with uh, he and Mulroney. That was a different time in politics for sure. So I was sad to hear of his passing, but it was a, a great weekend to get outdoors. Lots to do. I did my old garden shutdown. Sad to say, even though it's going up to, what, 25 tomorrow, I ripped out all the flowers and uh, prepping for winter, which then, of course, gets us to thinking, it's really awesome now, uh, but what happens when the weather welcomes the gales of November? I mean, I was over the weekend, as, as you probably did your, yourself, if you've got to wait to get into a store or the barber or maybe a restaurant, I mean, at least you can do it now because it's warm. Well, what happens when the temperatures plunge? You know, 
what happens? Does uh, everyone just stay indoors and go back online, or are you gonna are you gonna brave it? Because unlike you know the first time around, it was kind of spring, so it was manageable. This time, it's gonna be cold. And what will testing look like by then? Are we still gonna be expected to wait for hours to get to testing in sub-zero weather? I mean, we just shouldn't have to, but nonetheless, I mean, we've had months to get the testing right, and it's wrong. And so Premier Ford, of course, facing more and more questions about this, came out today promising that uh, more testing resources are coming. So by the end of this week, he mentioned that pharmacies uh, could start, you know, delivering, but then they have to train and get up to speed. So I think that's going to take a couple of more weeks. And we are doing more testing in this country than others across the country. But the fact is, we still have hours long lineups and we should not because we already know, look, the key to controlling COVID-19 is testing. And it just seems that no one in charge at any level has their crap together. I mean, sure, we're doing tens of thousands of more tests, but we've had months months and months and months to get this all in place and ramp up the pharmacies or, I don't know, get the rapid testing approved, which, of course, is federal jurisdiction. But we are still weeks and weeks away from getting other resources in place that I think should have been kind of ready to hit the road as soon as we got past Labor Day. And then, of course, we've been talking about it on the station. You, you hear these headlines out of Ancaster over the weekend where this group of fast and furious yahoos get their uh, metallic souped-up cars out for a big event so they can marvel at each other's lightning decals. I don't know. It's a world that does not make sense to me. But this thing was advertised all over social media. And so what happens? Well, gee, well over 500 cars show up in a parking lot in Ancaster. And where were the cops? I mean, how did everyone else know about the party but the cops? Because apparently they only had three cars to send out, and so they did, and we get no fines, no punishments. The cops just waved the cars away. And this comes like 48 hours, you know, after Premier Ford was not just begging people not to gather, but put in new restrictions on gathering, which clearly this violates because you're only allowed 25 outdoors now. And then issued, um, you know, the steepest fines in the country. I mean, he made it clear law enforcement would be lowering the boom on lawbreakers. And what happens to those with the power to do it? Well, like, they showed up, but no boom is delivered. And so it begs the question, like, how do you expect behaviors to change if those in charge don't do their job? Now, look, the good news is uh, these dolts don't realize that they're license plates and social media bragging. It will catch up to them because, as Doug Ford warned today, the police are coming. I'll tell you, if they had brains, it'd be dangerous, not to mention behind a wheel. It's unbelievable. So, guys, get your act together. I'll tell you, it's just unbelievable. But, you know, they'll, they'll, uh, they'll track them down as sure as I'm, I'm standing here. But they shouldn't have to. The cops should not be wasting resources going after these idiots now. They should have done it on Saturday. They could have blocked the entrances with their cars and, and, and the exit and then handed every driver there a fine as they go home to mom's basement. You know, if you want to send a fast and furious, furious message to this particular crowd, you take away the gas money. And then in Toronto, there were 21 gathering complaints and how many fines? Oh, that, that would be none. None. So what we have here now is all bark, no bite. 
And what does that what does that do? Well, it leads to an overreaction, like the bylaw officer who goes out and tickets a dad rollerblading with the kids in a parking lot, or the guy who exercised in the park doing chin-ups on a goalpost and got a ticket. You know, those in charge are are, you know, trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube. What they should have done in the beginning is send a very loud message, hitting a couple of big offenders hard and saying, hey, we're not gonna put up with this. And instead, what we get is hundreds, you know, uh, going to a party, openly advertised on social media, and then they openly flip the bird at the rules, and those in charge do nothing. And I'm not Trixie Tattletale here. You know, I don't believe in police doing whatever they want and overstepping actions and losing civil liberties, but what'll end up happening is we go from no action to overreaction, like what we're seeing in Australia. Which is not the way it should be done if it had just been done properly from the beginning. And who pays the price? Well, of course, private businesses. Private businesses trying to, you know, break their backs following rules only to watch this very, you know, gener- this generation, this demographic of 20 to 40-year-olds who are driving the surge in cases and putting these businesses at further risk of shutting down. So again, none of this is necessary. It's not, you know, I heard... Dr. Yaffe over the weekend on Saturday trying to explain the rules to people. And I thought, just stop. You know, in trying to clarify rules, you muddy the waters again. It's easy. Keep it simple, stupid. Wear a mask. Don't go to parties. Don't be a stupid idiot. That's not hard to understand. I'm oversimplifying it. But again, we've had months of education. We know how this thing works now. And you can't go telling everybody we're going to put in steep fines and lower the boom and then not do it. Because, again, what people come away with is, well, there are no real, there are no real consequences. Because they don't care about the consequences of COVID-19 shutdowns. They would care about a fine because they wouldn't be able to buy their hubcaps or whatever, you know, their, their decals for the car. That will hurt them. But they don't care about the consequences of COVID. They don't care if they kill granny. They don't care if they spread it. They don't care if they shut down businesses. But what they do is care about their car. So send the message when you can. And, and there's a lost opportunity to send a very big message that everyone is serious about this. But here we are again. All right, it is time to dive into the headlines where we find all those good little buried nuggets of news that don't get the attention they deserve, but Black Locks Reporting makes sure that they do. Managing Editor Tom Korski joining me now. And Tom, I didn't really um, talk about this story because I wasn't here on Friday, but uh, the president of the Health Agency of Canada suddenly resigned. She, like many others, just wanted to go spend time with her children. And, um, you know, I would have to, I mean, with a impending investigation into her department, the fact that there have been so many problems within the department, I mean, I had to think that a resignation in the middle of a pandemic was uh, something more than just going to hang with the kids, right? Uh, Christina Nemesniowski uh, was kicked upstairs. Uh, she has a lot of things to answer for. This is a career public servant who was appointed president of the Public Health Agency in May 2019. In September 2019, an important date, uh, Alex, Mm -hmm. this is three months before the pandemic breaks out. She's president of the pandemic fire department. She sends a memo to cabinet that said, 
We are so prepared. We amaze ourselves. We are so prepared. We can fill every order for personal protective equipment within 24 hours. We are amazing. Interesting thing happened. A pandemic broke out. By the subsequent April 1st, 2020, she is sending an internal email that says, we are so desperately short of supplies. We need help from the Army, quote unquote, delays are putting lives of Canadians at risk. Shame on the public health agency. But this president, uh, cream rises to the top, apparently. She has now been appointed, effective next Monday, a $238,000 a year senior advisor to the Prime Minister of Canada. How's that for accountability? Well, the Privy Council hasn't proved itself to be all that uh, adept either, so she, she might fit in. I mean, it is appalling. I mean, it is appalling. But is there not some kind of investigation going on into this? Well, of the public health agency, uh, the only proper investigation you'll ever get, frankly, is to get a federal judge. And th th that almost, there's all party agreement outside of cabinet that that has to happen. Yeah. W why does this matter? Why, why does it matter that you had, forgive my language, you had screw ups running the public health agency? Because their medical advice was based on the fact that they didn't do their job. They were supposed to have a four-month supply of personal protective equipment. They had almost nothing in the warehouses. They misled Cabinet. The internal emails are frank. What did that mean? Well, it meant that Cabinet came out and ordered a shutdown of a million small businesses. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And here we are in the worst economic downturn since the Dust Bowl. And it all started with Tina. Niemisnowski and the public health agency. Shame, shame on them. Literally millions lost their jobs and thousands of people died. I don't know how you get away without a judicial inquiry. My opinion. Well, again, if we have a, an election and a government with a, um, you know, a majority mandate, it could all go away very easily, as you well know. But it's, I do I find it interesting now that, you know, Canada's public health agency, a former advisor, suggesting that maybe the next person has a science background uh, who's in charge. Well, that would be nice. I mean, part of the reason, Tom, that we have been caught so bloody badly in this thing is that they got rid of an actual health professional in Jane Philpott and put in Patty Haidu, who I think uh, was in graphic design. And then you've got this other moron uh, who's failing upwards. I mean, when you don't have people in charge who understand the gravity of something, maybe they shouldn't have that. Oh, but how about going to Walmart and getting someone who knows how to manage a warehouse? This was not rocket science. They were not reaching for the stars. Anyone who's any experience in retail, wholesaling, or distribution can say, are you kidding me? They didn't even keep electronic logs of when material was date expired. It was like Coco the monkey was running the warehouses. <laughs> the, the, and the, the fallout was absolutely catastrophic. I apologize to any monkeys out there because they're actually quite uh, quite clever. Um, interestingly, I do not know where this throne speech will lead us, but the agency responsible for administering federal elections, as reported by you guys, uh, as well as referendums, they uh, put in a rush order for uh, millions of ballot pencils. <laughs> 16 million ballot pencils. Uh, and they did that? Wait, this is all because Justin Trudeau was adamant there's not going to be an election, so they took it as the cue that there's going to be an election. 
and let's order all this. Do we know how much we spent? <laughs> that, that was it. That was it. Literally, the, a day after the prime minister said, well, "I don't, I don't think there's going to be election. We don't want an election. <laughs> Elections Canada ordered 16 million ballot pencils. Rush order. Uh, <laughs> they want those pencils uh, due to arrive." Uh, by uh, starting in December, latest February twenty seventh, hard deadline. Alex, <laughs> they want those pencils. <laughs> well, okay, so again, even if there's an election in a, in the next few uh, weeks, they won't have the pencils. What happens to the old pencils? I mean, do they not? Can they not recycle the old pencils? That's an excellent question. I wonder. Well, some somewhere there's a, a pencil manufacturer who's happy. God bless them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, no kidding, but it makes absolutely no sense. I just wanted to um, touch upon this one because this was a story that you guys broke about the the fact that, um, well, you've been accused actually now of irresponsible reporting, but there's a Twitter storm. There was a real Twitter storm over this um, when the CHMC, CMHC had this study that they were doing on home equity, this tax that they thought would be uh, good to bring in. People found out about a possible tax on their home. Um, you know, and went nuts about this, rightfully so, saying that they would not pay a tax on the sale of their primary residence. And now the CMHC is just basically blaming you for letting this study get out. It was interesting. Uh, it was Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation in uh, internal uh, memos said uh, we were going to pull funding for uh, federal research on a home equity tax after publicly. Uh, correct, as you point out, Alex, accused us of horrible reporting for saying that they were going to fund research on a home equity tax. So a couple of takeaways here. One is, uh, if you're going to make a blanket denial, and governments often do, you don't really want to get caught um, misinforming the public, because that leads to awkward questions about integrity and economy with truth. The other point is, anyone who says social media is just about hectoring on Twitter or cat videos, not true. In this case, I can tell you, we see it in internal documents, CMHC uh, is almost compulsive in monitoring what people say about them on Twitter and social media, and there was such a blowback when we did this story originally, uh, that it actually killed the funding for this home equity tax. They got the message and how. Well, whether it kills the uh, possible tax, I guess we'll wait and find out on Wednesday and make sure that uh, hopefully you guys are reading all the fine print because that is one that I think, including myself, there'd be a civil war over that because uh, it's, it's for most people, it's their only investment and it's the only thing that they have to uh, take them into retirement. Tom, lots to talk about. We'll continue that conversation Wednesday. Always appreciate it. Thank you, Alex. That is Tom Korski with Blacklocks Reporting. It is a subscription-based magazine out of Ottawa, and it is worth every single penny. When we come back in news at the top of the hour, and we'll talk about two deaths that have uh, people obsessing now over the next pick of the Supreme Court of Canada when maybe they should just stop and reflect the death of a Canadian Prime Minister. That uh, with us next, so stay tuned for that. I'm Alex Pearson on Point, and this is Global News Radio. Tom, thank you very much. I appreciate it. That is Tom Korski, Managing Editor of Black Locks Reporting. And of course, that's a subscription-based magazine, and it is worth every single penny. When we come back, we'll get your news at the top of the hour. And then we learn of the passing of two huge names in politics, political circles, one prime minister and one in America who sits on the bench of the Supreme Court uh, in the United States. Why do Canadians obsess about that more than our 
passing prime minister? We'll dive into that. Stay with us here on Point. This is Global News Radio. I think this is great if we're able to move forward and have this plan uh, expand here in Oakville, but uh, the parts are very important. Uh, we would like to manufacture the batteries here rather than bringing, in, uh, bringing the batteries in uh, from out of country. Uh, we have the capabilities, we have the raw materials here, so why, why can't we produce the batteries? That's, that's my uh, big ask to, to Ford, and uh, hopefully these negotiations will go well tonight with Unifor, and uh, we're there to support both uh, Ford and, and Unifor to get this uh, past the, the finish line. That uh, is Premier Ford's response to a Toronto Star exclusive that reveals uh, the province and the Trudeau government are set to give Ford's Oakville plant half a billion dollars, which will go to retooling the plant so it can make electric vehicles. And this is just part of a $2 billion deal that, if done, will create thousands of jobs. It will ensure that the plant stays. But, yes, it is blatant corporate welfare. And the last time we gave automakers a bailout, we didn't get anything in return. I mean, they stayed in business. Some of them, well, some of them did anyway. Others just picked up and took off. But, uh, you know, we're told all the time that electric cars are the future, to which I always say, I think that is for the market to decide. And I don't think the market has decided. And that's because so far, the only way they can survive the market is if we give heavily uh, subsidized, you know, deals. Go out and buy a Tesla, we'll give you money. Go out and buy this electric car, we'll give you money. Um, you know, and while we're also told it's a green, green and clean thing to do, I'm not so sure it's all that clean either. Let us bring someone who might know a thing or two about this, Parker Gallant, joining us with Energy Perspectives. Good to have you, Parker. Uh, nice to be here, Alec. Um, Let's talk just a little bit uh, before I, I talk about Doug Ford, um, you know, with, with his side of it. I mean, and we'll put aside my dislike for corporate welfare, which I think we've become far, far too reliant on. But when you hear that, um, you know, we're, we're retrofitting these big automakers to go clean and, and do the electric vehicle, um, you know, is this the true clean and green thing to do? I you know, personally don't believe it. I mean, electric cars... If, if you go back, you know, 130 years, electric cars were, the, you know, were, were kind of there before um, uh, any other cars. Uh, so batteries were discovered a long time ago, a couple hundred years ago at least. And, uh, you know, the first cars we had that were, you know, being produced were electric cars. But they got beat out by uh, internal combustion engines by a long shot just because, of, you know, they were cheaper and their costs were less, and they didn't sort of, you know, die on you in cold weather. So, I mean, you know, we're resurrecting something that uh, is old technology as far as I'm concerned. I mean, the other uh, big concern that I think people should have is that, you know, all the ingredients that go into an electric car have to be recycled. And the most, uh, you know, the most the toughest one that needs to be recycled, of course, is that huge battery that is powering the vehicle. And it has a lifespan of, you know, maybe seven years in Canada, if, if we're lucky. Um, you know, because of the cold weather, you know, we have to, we're going to have to charge them a lot more frequently. So uh, if, they, if they have to be recycled, the cost of recycling, apparently, uh, you know, a car battery of that, you know, from an electric vehicle... Uh, is five times the cost of uh, mining them, mining the lithium. You know, try to get the lithium out because it's 
it's a you know something that we don't want to get into our soil to get the lithium out the the cost of recycling that one battery and just getting the lithium out costs five times what it costs to mine the the lithium in the first place right expensive proposition and everything has to be recycled it does, and what we hear now, I mean, is is a lot of uh, landfills filling up with these uh, batteries, which then just sit there, and then whatever leaches into the ground, it's almost like the biofuel argument. Everyone argues that it's much cleaner. It's just that you have to kill forest upon forest uh, to make this kind of fuel. So I guess it depends on what kind of environment uh, you believe in. Uh, you either want to kill other parts of the environment to, to uh, save uh, the ones that you care about, or, or, you know, we seem to be selective when it comes to our, our kind of environmentalism. And uh, Doug Ford today said, you know, one of the conditions of, of getting a deal like this done for Ontario is that Ontario actually get to make the batteries. Um, because right now, if we were to get batteries, um, you know, to get electric cars going, we'd have to ship them in from the United States or from South Korea or Japan. And so, yep. um, you know, he's right, we should be uh, able to make our own batteries. But then for the environmental crowd, that's a problem because in order to get a battery created for an electric car, you actually have to, as you say, you got to mine for those products. Yeah, you have to mine for them and then you got to be prepared to recycle, you know, uh, them in, you know, seven or eight years or less. And and those things, I don't think, enter the, the concept of the minds of, of the politicians that are throwing this money, our tax dollars or current tax dollars and future tax dollars around uh, as they're doing. Um, you know, so uh, I just can't, you know, I can't see it as a, as a, as something going forward that's going to make a big difference. I mean, I've, uh, you, you sort of said in your opening that, uh, you know, subsidies have helped electric vehicles to uh, be purchased. And that's so true. I mean, I was looking at you know the the provinces that hand out money uh, as subsidies, and and the feds as well that hand out money. I mean, the feds give five thousand dollars to anybody that's buying a, a new EV, and you know there's about fifty thousand, I think, uh, vehicles sold in 2019. So fifty thousand vehicles sold and five thousand dollars a piece. That's another two hundred and fifty. A million dollars, billion dollars. That's being a million dollars that's being thrown out there, right? Every year. So, if you continue to do that, that's going to be a lot more than that. I mean, Quebec gives eight thousand dollars per EV new new EV vehicle, and if you uh, buy a used one, you'll even get four four thousand dollars as a subsidy. And you may remember back when. Um, when McGinty and Wynn were were in charge of uh, Ontario's uh, government, that they were handing out fourteen thousand mm-hmm. dollars for EVs that were you know were out of the realm of most people in the province. They couldn't afford to buy that expensive Tesla vehicle that was going to cost them one hundred twenty thousand dollars. So what does the government do? It throws fourteen thousand dollars, but you know that that way. Right. And, and so, you know, it, it's not just the half a billion dollars of, of corporate welfare, but then, you know, the costs of the subsidies to, to get to get people to buy them. You know, it's not job creation. We're actually just paying uh, to, to make jobs. And that's not really how it's it's not all how it's supposed to work. But a lot of people will, Parker, get very, very excited about this. It will fulfill, um, you know, the, the green, um, you know, ideology that the Trudeau government, you know, its green ambitions, um, you know, this will fit right in with their talking points. But the reality of it is, um, it is not really what it's 
it doesn't really meet up to its standard of what we are told, which is all things environmental. And the other thing is, you know, you know, how far have they come? Uh, you know, how long do you have to, ch to um, charge them for? And how are, are they at least able to survive Canadian winters? How, how much better are they now today than they were, let's say, two, three years ago? Yeah. I mean, they may be a little bit better than they were two or three years ago. I mean, even the internal combustion gen engines are, are usually, you know, better than they were a few years ago. Uh, and, you know, we have high uh, environmental standards applied to internal combustion engines as well. And, um, you know, we're consuming a product that actually generates revenue for the government. You know, when we drive a, a, an internal combustion engine uh, um, vehicle. Whereas, you know, these things, I'm not sure we're going to be doing much. The only benefit, if you will, to the oil and gas sector is a lot more plastic and um, polymer that goes into a EV than goes into a, a regular car, believe it or not. So, you know, they're going to be consuming oil and gas products to manufacture the thing when, you know, when they've been touting this, you know, sort of, um, you know, uh, reducing emissions target that they've got. but Right, but if we don't talk about it and we just pretend it doesn't happen, then right. it doesn't happen. Yeah. You know, and we <laughs> repeat that talking point enough, people will eventually believe that that is, uh, that is the way of life. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens and what uh, any kind of announcement looks like. But, uh, you know, I wanted to delve into the other side of this because I do think a lot of people mean well when they buy them. And, and there, there, there are some very nice looking electric vehicles out there. And, you know, if you can afford a $100,000 Tesla, go with it. But yeah. I don't think any of us should kid ourselves that just like a car that runs on fuel, these two also have their um, environmental uh, failures. And, um, you know, I think we should just be at least honest about it. Parker, I got to leave you on that note, but we will, uh, I'll continue uh, tapping on your shoulder and asking you questions as we watch this announcement come through. Sure. Thank you, Alec, for having me. Appreciate it. That is Parker Gallant with uh, Energy Perspectives uh, joining us. And again, uh, the disdain I have for corporate welfare and how addicted we have become, or governments have become to, to giving it out. Um, it, it put that aside. But again, if so electric cars are going to be the future, it, it is because it has to be a demand and not because we're buying people to, you know, telling people to buy them and then giving them a check to do so. We don't know what we're going to find, hence why we have deployed multiple resources. Our CMP here is at scene, uh, Longueuil Police, as well as uh, Longueuil Fire Department. But we also have a specialized unit um, to make sure that if we find something that is highly toxic inside the residence, that we're prepared. That's just one of the investigators out of Montreal, now part of a search through the Montreal home that has now been linked to a number of envelopes and a woman who sent them allegedly to the White House containing ricin. And that uh, at least one of them was meant for Donald Trump, but of course it did not get to the intended target. And this woman was arrested Sunday while trying to cross into the U.S. She was pulled over and arrested. And the same woman is also suspected of mailing rice and lace letters to government agencies in the southern tip of Texas. So how did we find out about all of this? Of course, uh, the FBI informed the RCMP. Let us bring in Christian Leprecht, professor over at the Royal Military College of Canada and Queen's University, also a fellow at the Macdonald Laurier Institute. Good to have you, Christian. Good evening. All right. Well, we don't know much about this particular uh, suspect at this point. Uh, you know, she was supposed to make a bail up. up 
uh, court appearance today. She will be in court in Buffalo at some point tomorrow. But we do know that there are six letters in total. One was uh, apparently sent to the White House, five others addressed to Texas. And uh, the RCMP's chemical, biological and radiological nuclear explosive team is leading the operation. But they are working with the FBI. Why didn't we why wouldn't this have been flagged sooner, you think? Yeah, so I, I think the reason that she was caught uh, uh, so expeditiously is either that she left ping- fingerprints behind and she had been fingerprinted at some point or another and then was flagged in uh, in a database in the cr- in course of the criminal investigation, or that there was already a national security investigation underway, but there wasn't enough evidence to uh, detain her. And so that um, effectively they, uh, they let her mail the letters um, and, uh, and then subsequently intercept the letters and had a rough idea of where those letters were going. Um, But the entire case is so puzzling because, I mean, people have tried this before and have gone to prison in the U.S. for a very long time. So why you'd use the same route where you know it's going to be very likely going to get intercepted uh, and then travel to the U.S. where you're going to face a a much stiffer prison sentence uh, than you would in Canada for the same offense, um, it's all a bit of a mystery to me. Yeah, I mean, there have been reports, uh, not confirmed by Global, but there are reports, um, you know, that that this woman was um, charged at one point in in the state of Texas. And so there are, I mean, as soon as she goes to the borders, that would have been flagged, no? Um, yeah, so I mean, once you've had a, once you have a, a, a record um, and you have a conviction, uh, then that will show up. But uh, there are also opportunities for law enforcement agencies to flag individuals who are, for instance, under investigation uh, for CBSA um, or for CBP. So uh, it, it to uh, either to let them through if they're in a course of investigation, so as not to tip them off or to pull them out. Um, they might not know exactly why they're being flagged, uh, but the flag would tell them, for instance, um, uh, to pull someone like this out. So um, so it might have been a, uh, a random spot check, uh, but it might have been uh, more likely that uh, she had been flagged quite deliberately and uh, there was already a, a manhunt ongoing for her. Uh, but perhaps they either knew where she was or she was already under RCMP surveillance. And so the decision was made to let her drive to the border and have the Americans prosecute her rather than arrest her here in Canada. That's interesting that you point that out. That they so they wanted her on, on American soil to to charge her. And and will this mean our government in any way is um, obligated to um, try to get her brought back here? Our government has no obligations uh, once she's in the United States and she's being charged. It's a regular routine occurrence that individuals who cross the border for offenses that uh, were, for instance, committed in Canada or on either side of the border uh, end up being apprehended by uh, by the United States. Um, often the United States uh, prefers to lay the charges because uh, the uh, the sentences uh, tend, to be, uh, tend to be much stiffer. And what's interesting in these investigations is that any evidence that is collected uh, legally and constitutionally um, on either side of the border can be introduced as evidence on the other side. So uh, if the RCMP, for instance, had a warrant here um, on her, for instance, a Part 6 wiretap warrant or so as part of the investigation, uh, then they would be able to introduce that evidence as part of the uh, U.S. uh, criminal proceedings. When I first heard about this, I just naturally assumed, not because it's sexist, but naturally assumed, and maybe it's because I watched a Ked, Ted uh, Kaczynski uh, documentary over the weekend, but um, generally when you see these things, you suspect that it's going to be a man. So I was somewhat surprised when it, when we heard that it was a woman charged, because uh, is there a profile on these kinds of, of threats? 
You know, so about one ten uh, percent of, uh, of, for instance, terrorism-related offences uh, are committed by uh, uh, by women. Um, it tends to be for reasons. Um, the rationale tends to be different uh, than for men. There is a whole separate research and uh, and literature on this. There is also an interesting fringe scene in Quebec that is slightly nuanced from the rest of Canada on both the extreme right and the extreme left. So it'll be interesting whether she had any particular connections to uh, uh, to that scene and whether that's something that drew her to Quebec uh, to begin with. Well, you know, given that she's charged in the United States and this is being dealt with, I mean, the one um, benefit is that we will find out quite soon what the issues are because they're so open when uh, when they talk about policing matters. Unlike here, where you get the RCMP or the cops, they just kind of put up the wall of uh, they, they shield these investigations. But we we should know, I think, a fair amount in the next day or two about uh, possible motive, uh, her background, groups that she may have been linked to. Uh, you know, they, they're very open about this kind of thing. Yeah, I think uh, in some ways it's the nightmare scenario for Ottawa after 9-11, because after 9-11, the whole effort by Ottawa has been about keeping the border open and making sure that there's no perception in the United States that there's a risk right. emanating from Canada in terms of terrorism uh, or national security types of offenses. On the other hand, given that we haven't had complaints about a porous border from Canada, not even from uh, President Trump, at least so far, uh, shows how far we've come in these 19 years in terms of operational coordination and that there may be differences in terms of ideology or political ideas across uh, the border between Ottawa and Washington, um, but uh, it shows just how cl- how close in terms of institutions and interests, law enforcement and uh, security intelligence agencies work across the border and the immense trust um, uh, and cooperation that we've built over the last 19 years. So I think this is also a testimony that even though we hear a lot in the news about political differences, uh, when it comes to keeping North America safe and uh, North Americans safe, um, uh, that uh, the two countries work literally hand in glove. Yeah, and and just before I let you go, Christian, not that um, you know I want to give instructions to anybody, but uh, how do you get rice? And I mean, it's not something that uh, like wh- where would someone get something like that? I mean, and and if you do get it, would it not be flagged? Um, yeah, so castor oil cast off. So this is sort of why it's it's popular. Sort of this this hobby uh, this hobby poison that uh, that people can manufacture themselves. But of course, uh, any traces of it would be highly toxic and would constitute um, a national security risk if someone else got a hold of it, uh, as well as a public health risk. So one of the things that the RCMP will be looking at is making sure uh, that there's no other ricin that perhaps any associates or so might have removed uh, from uh, from her premises, uh, in addition to the public health risk. Um, so this will remain an ongoing investigation because they'll be looking at other other people who might have known, for instance, um, that she's working on producing ricin because um, while you can do it on your on your own, um, chances are she probably had some help or at least some support of some sort. Or there will be some, some kind of search, um, uh, you know, history in her computer. But Lord knows the neighbors have got to be just shaking their heads tonight because uh, it was that close to home. Uh, Christian, we will uh, watch for updates, but uh, I thank you for um, giving us what you know and uh, kind of uh, delving into it for us. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. That is Christian Lebrecht. And so we will stay tuned because America does release its information and we should get it very quickly. That is our podcast for today. Of course, you can join us live Monday through Friday, four on point, starting 6.30 right through till 10. I'm Alex Pearson.